Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our morning service. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here this morning. Great to have some that we haven't seen for a while with us. Thankful for that. Today, I'd like to consider some of the musts of the Lord Jesus. When you think about it, must is a, is a hard word. It sometimes expresses what we might call an unwelcome necessity. You must do something that you don't want to do. But what was involved in the musts of Jesus? Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we seek your guidance again. O Lord, that as we look into this topic, oh, that you would help us to understand even in a greater measure of who you are and indeed your love for us. Bless, we pray, we ask in Jesus' name. The first occasion in which he uses the word must is found in the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 49, which we uh, read earlier. Chapter 2, verse 49, we read there, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? The Lord Jesus here is only 12 years old when the mysterious consciousness that he had a special relation to God drew him to the temple. Drew him to the temple and to his father's work. And in Luke 2, verse 46, we see the boy, we read, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Verse 47 adds, And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Now, notice Jesus' reaction when his mother reprimands him. Verse 49 Jesus said, Why were you looking for me? Wist ye not, or didn't you realize that I must be about my father's business? And I, I wondered how that was said. Was it said with disappointment? Didn't you realize that I must be about my father's business? He seemed surprised that Mary didn't understand that he had work to do because of who he was already. Jesus, at 12 years of age, is a great example of obedience, isn't he? Where should a son be but in his father's house? How could he not be doing his father's business? And then we say, what a pattern that is for us. As children of God, should be natural for us to be in fellowship with God and to be doing His will. We too should react with wonder and amazement that people would expect us to be any other place but to be about the Father's business. Our response should be, wist ye not? Don't you realize 
that as a child of God, I must be about my father's business. When people might ask us, or you tell them that you're at church, it should not be a surprise for them because that's who you are. That's where we ought to be. We are the children of God. You know, sometimes you can't be somewhere because you're at church on Sunday morning, because you're at prayer meeting on Thursday, or other places when we had the youth groups and so on, or Wednesday night book study. It shouldn't be a surprise to those people. And I think if it is a surprise, then they don't know us, do they? I was glad to hear my sister when I called her uh, this week. And she said, uh, well, I, I knew I couldn't call you Thursday night. And I thought, good. <laughs> she knew that. She knew where I was on Thursday night, the prayer meeting. Uh, our very life's breath should be in doing the Father's will. Where does the, that leave grudging service? Where does that leave reluctant obedience? After all he's done for me, after all he's done for me, how could I do less than give him my best after all he's done for me? That's a song that we can sing. Glad obedience is true obedience. I'm sure that when Jesus was in the temple that day, he wasn't like some boys in school always looking out the window, looking at what's, what I could be doing out there wishing they were outside. No. Jesus took delight in doing his Father's will. When we choose to do God's will because we love him, because we want to please him, then duty is delight. Wist ye not that I must be about my Father's business, he said. The second must. second must of Jesus occurs early in his earthly ministry. In John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Nicodemus, remember, the ruler, the Jews, came to Jesus by night. He had questions for the Lord Jesus. And as part of his explanation, the Lord Jesus, in verses 14 and 15, says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, at the beginning of his ministry, he tells Nicodemus that he must be lifted up he would be lifted up on the cross. And remember, this is at the beginning of his ministry. Well, even in the chapter before this, in John chapter 2, verses 19 and 21, Jesus had said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And then John adds in verse 21, he spoke of the temple of his body. His body would be destroyed. From the beginning of his ministry, 
cross was clear to the Lord Jesus. And why must he go to the cross? Yes, he was fulfilling the scripture, but more than that, his work could not be done unless he died. He could not be the savior of the world unless he was the sacrifice for sins of the world, for the world. This death was the requirement of what we might say is divine justice. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. We read there, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Hymn writer says, I will tell the wondrous story how my lost estate to save in his boundless love and mercy he the ransom freely gave. I will sing of my Redeemer. With his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. The Son of Man must be lifted up. He must die because he wanted to save, and he wanted to save because he loved. Jesus' obedience to God the Father made him obedient to the requirements of divine righteousness. And his compassion for sinners meant that he must die. He did not come down from the cross, as you remember, as those who mocked him suggested, but he yielded his body in love to be the sacrifice for man's salvation. He must die because he wanted to save you. He wanted to save me. Then we should ask, what shall I render? What shall I give to the Lord for all his sacrifices towards me? Another hymn writer gives the answer. Give of your best to the master. Give him first place in your heart. Give him first place in your service. Consecrate every part. Thirdly, there were other times throughout his ministry when the Lord Jesus reminded himself and the disciples that he must suffer, that he must die and be raised. Matthew expresses it this way in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 says that he began to teach them the son that the son of man must suffer many things and Luke 9:22 uh, speaks of the same theme the lord jesus knew well in advance what would happen what must happen and he in love continued to obey god's plan for salvation knowing you know, how much worse pain is when we know about it in advance? I recall the procedure I had to go through. 
And oh my, it was hard. It was painful. And then, about six months later, I had to go back. And I tell you, for a month, well, Iris is still with me, so, you know, I, I was hard. I mean, I, I thought, this was terrible. Am I going to go through that again? And I did. And this time I came out, Iris says, smiling. <laughs> it, it didn't hurt this time. But I think to myself, for the Lord Jesus, it was not like that. He must have dreaded what was ahead, but he did not shirk from it. Willing to take the cross was he. Willing to suffer agony, willing to die for you and me, Jesus the crucified. Fourthly, in Luke chapter 19, verse 5, we have Jesus applying the word must once again. This time to something that may seem rather insignificant. He looked up in the tree and spoke to the little man, remember? The sycamore tree, a little wee man was he. Zacchaeus, he said, make haste and come down, for today I must Abide at thy house. Why must Jesus spend time at Zacchaeus' house? Think about it. Because Zacchaeus was to be saved. And he was worth saving. When did this event take place now? Think about that. The Lord Jesus was on the road to the cross. And he was taking time to stop for an hour or two. See, there was a man. There was a man in need of salvation, and his heart was ready, and Jesus would never pass that way again. Jesus took the time. He took the opportunity to meet the needs of this curious tax collector. But there's another must. In John 4, verse 4. See, there we see a similar situation when Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee. He didn't take the normal Jewish route around Samaria because he must needs go through Samaria. Why? Well, there was a woman at Jacob's well who needed to be saved. In turn, there were others who believed. If you turn to John chapter 4, I'll read from 39 to 42, verses 39 to 42 of John chapter 4. We read, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him, for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, 
For we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. The Lord Jesus was willing to go out of his way to go beyond the normal expectation with both Zacchaeus and the people of Samaria. I wonder how often you and I miss opportunities because we put our our convenience, our plans, our comfort before the must of God. Another hymn writer wrote, Perhaps today there are loving words which Jesus would have me speak. There may be now in the paths of sin some wanderer whom I should seek. O Savior, if thou wilt be my guide, though dark and rugged the way, My voice shall echo the message sweet. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, or mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. Jesus must go to Zacchaeus' house. He must go through Samaria. Now we look at another. In the book of Luke, Chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. When the people of Capernaum urged him to stay in their city and continue doing miracles there, we read, Jesus said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. He was sent on a mission. And Jesus moved on. There were others who needed to hear, as we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 39, where it says, And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee. But it may, must have been, it might have been tempting to remain where he was welcomed. We probably would have preferred that. But as on other occasion, the Lord Jesus was determined to go on to do God's will. Jesus gave us a mission or commission also in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, you recall, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. How eager are we to go where God has placed us? See, Jesus' reaction to God's commission was, I must preach to other cities. I must go. Our seventh look at the Lord Jesus must is later, In the book of John, chapter 9, verse 4. The Lord Jesus repeated similar words when he said that he must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. On this occasion, the Lord Jesus, as the light of the world, gave sight to the man who was born blind. The Lord Jesus 
was serious about the mission on which God the Father had sent him. But look at the setting of this miracle. Turn to the last verse of John 8. Last verse of John 8, but we have to note first, we progress sort of there to the last verse. Jesus has announced in verse 12 that he is the light of the world. And then he added in verse 24, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And just as the chapter ends, the Jews are infuriated by Jesus' words in verse 58. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. They knew that the Lord Jesus was claiming to be God. The Jews immediately took up stones to throw at him in verse 59 of John chapter 8. It says, then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. But see, there's a chapter division there and there shouldn't be really a chapter division because the little detail that we come to now, uh, you know, the chapter division sort of gives a pause and so on. But Jesus went out of the temple and passed by. But look at the very next verse in John chapter 9, verse 1. What would I have done? What would you have done? I think I may have been dodging those stones and running, just kept on running. You see the picture there. They're picking up stones. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. Jesus saw someone in need. Even when people were trying to stone him, Jesus saw the need and recognized that this man's blindness was part of God's plan. So he stopped. Notice chapter 9, verse 3. We read, Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. That's why he had to stop, to show them. Not only was this God's plan, but Jesus said in verse 4 that he must work the works of him that sent me. Jesus didn't wait for a quiet, peaceful occasion to, to do God's work. He took the initiative and acted. He put clay, remember, on the blind man's eyes and sent him to be washed and be healed. It's interesting to note that Jesus was doing God's work. If you turn back to John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, and note what God's works were. This is the work of God, it says, that you believe on him who he, whom he had sent. But now, Jesus healed the blind man's eyes so that as a result, this man would believe on the one God sent. What we just read in John's record. Notice the words 
of the previously blind man in John 9, verse 30. And he said, Lord, I believe. I believe. And he worshipped him. You can see what has happened there in those three pictures. They were going to stone Jesus. He stopped and noticed a blind man. And eventually, this blind man believed. I must work the works of him that sent me, is what he had said. We see another must of the Lord Jesus in the Good Shepherd chapter. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 14 to 18. We read there, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my Father. It's verse 16 that contains the must of Jesus. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. You see it there. See the little black sheep? That's Betsy, Iris said. She remembered our little lamb, a little black one. Those words are striking in themselves. But they're more striking when we note that in verse 15, he had just said, I lay down my life for the sheep. He will die. But there was work to be done beyond the cross. Why, that verse reaches to 2023, to Canada, to Sudbury, where straying sheep are still being brought to Christ. And they will be gathered around the one shepherd. These words I must bring are to be fulfilled after the Lord Jesus had died, after he had risen and ascended to heaven, I must bring, recognizes that the results are sure. The power of the cross will be effective in reconciling men and women to God for centuries to come. It's guaranteed by the eternal life of the crucified Savior. In the book of John, chapter 10, verse 28, we read there, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Aren't you glad that there were other sheep that Jesus must bring? And that included us. Bah! <laughs> Praise the Lord, if that's the way of doing it. Eh? 
Oh my. Number nine, although there are other uses of the word must by Jesus. The final reference that I want to point out is found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Gospel of Luke chapter 24, and uh, it's verses 44 to 46 that I look at. But The Lord Jesus has at this point triumphed over death. He's risen from the dead and been victorious. Now, the believers surrounding him, and for you and I today, needed to understand so that they too would rejoice, so that they too could rejoice. They needed to see how God's plan had been carried out perfectly. So the Lord Jesus speaks to them again. Scripture had been fulfilled. In Luke 24, verse 44, I begin, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Verse 45 continues saying, Then open he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And verse 46, And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved, or thus it was necessary, for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. The disciples needed to understand how God's plan was perfectly fulfilled. Jesus had been crucified. Jesus had been raised from the dead. Jesus showed how the Old Testament text had predicted these events. Now his followers, followers had the task, a task to do. In verse 47, they were to preach and call people to repent to turn to the one who had died that their sins might be forgiven. And this forgiveness that was in Jesus' name was to be preached to all nations. Think about it. Can you imagine how they must have felt when Jesus told them that? You know, to be a fly on the wall, they might say, have to be having been there to hear their reaction, how they must have felt. They finally understood why all these things must happen. That it was the Old Testament, what it had taught all the time, and now they could finally see. The story is told of a pastor. The pastor received a call from a new father, which was not unusual. The father, however, went on to explain that he had wanted the pastor to be present when the mother came out from under the anesthetic and would be told she had given birth to a beautiful baby boy, healthy in every way, but the newborn had no ears. When the pastor arrived, the nervous father and the doctor went into the room where the mother lay on her bed. Now recovered after a hard birth, the doctor explained that the baby had auditory openings and all the inner parts necessary to receive sounds, but no 
fleshy part outside that we commonly call the ear. The doctor assured the parents that the problem would be corrected when the child's growth was completed and a matching donor could be found. School was a tough experience for this little guy. Many times he would come home crying, I'm a freak. I'm nothing but a freak. He was too well aware of the stories, the whispers, the taunts, the nicknames given to him by the other kids. Junior high was the worst of his growing up experiences. But the young man began to adapt and learn to live with his disfigurement. He became an excellent student and entered college on a scholarship with plans to study geology. One spring day when he was a sophomore in college, his father phoned him and said, Well, son, we finally found an ear donor for you. Plan to come home because the operation will take place this summer. The day of the operation came and went as a rousing success. This young man was so happy as he returned to college in the fall. His new ears were beautiful and life took on new meaning for him. He graduated with honors and his parents were so proud of him as he left to take a job in the Midwest. Life was great. Then a call came from his father who said, Son, mother has a heart, a heart attack. Please come right home. The young man arrived on the next flight only to learn his mother had died before his arrival. The next day at the funeral home, his father walked in up to the casket where she lay and pushed back his mother's hair to show the son. The mother didn't have any ears. She gave a part of herself to meet her son's need. You know, ladies and gentlemen, young people, the love of God is greater even than this mother's love. God has given more than ears. He has given his son. As Jesus had said to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We've looked this morning at the musts of the Lord Jesus. First, the 12-year-old lad who knew that he must do his father's will business. Secondly, he also knew that to accomplish this, Jesus had said that he must be lifted up. And thirdly, he also must suffer, be killed, and be raised. And then, meantime, he must abide with Zacchaeus. He must go through Samaria to meet needy souls. He must preach the kingdom to many cities. He must do God's work that people might be saved. He must bring others into his fold. He must fulfill the scripture. And he said, and could say, it is finished. Jesus delighted to do the Father's will. 
the hymn message we're going to hear. Marissa and Deborah will come now to sing. This hymn, I believe, wraps this morning's message up in an inspiring hymn entitled, To Do the Father's Will. And as I read that hymn and heard that hymn, you know, we think, where am I in it all? Ladies, if you would come, please. It was alone that Jesus suffered in Gethsemane. Alone he drained the bitter cup of deepest woe for me. Alone he lay the rugged cross on Calvary's darkened hill. The Savior came to do the Jesus cast my sin so far 
Others, thank you ladies, others have effectively used the word must with reference to salvation as a result of this good news. Look at Acts chapter 4 verse 12, I'll quickly run through this. We have Peter's use of the word must with regards to salvation, saying, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Then in Acts 16, verse 30, when the Philippian jailer fell down before Paul and Silas with the words, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It was not some work he must do, but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The Lord Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The salvation can be found only in the Lord Jesus. It is spiritual rebirth that occurs. When we do, as we read earlier in John chapter 6, verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom God has sent. This is what God wants. You know, this is the word of God. This is the Lord Jesus loving us, sinners, undeserving of his love, but he graciously, lovingly, and in obedience to the will of his Father, he fulfilled the plan of salvation. And it was must, what he must do and what he wondrously did what is your response to him this morning? He's calling you today to believe and you will be saved. Believe and you will be saved. There is no other way, not by the works that you and I have done, but by believing and resting in Christ's work, his death on the cross, where he paid for your sins and mine then you become part of the family of God, safe, safe and secure in his hand for eternity. But you must be born again. 